Oh, hey there, listeners and juicers. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you have fallen in love with the Draw Your Dice podcast and want to help put some new fruit on the table, but don't feel comfortable making a monthly commitment, well, you can support the show via the ACAST supporter feature. No gift too large, nor too small. Just click on the link in the show description and know that I am sending you the strongest hug when you do so. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. My name is Jeremy Gage, and welcome to the Draw Your Dice podcast. This is an educational show involving all things tabletop role-playing industry. Listen alongside me as we hear from creators, entrepreneurs, and supporters about their personal best practices, principles, and philosophies. I encourage anyone from the budding game designer to a seasoned publisher and everyone in between to sit down with us and enjoy today's episode. Hello, everyone. Thank you for coming to the Draw Your Dice podcast. My name is Jeremy Gage, as you heard in the intro. But as always, the show is never about me. It is about who I have brought to you today. And who I have brought to you today is, I would want to call them a return guest. But you get to experience one of the first DYD lost episodes. Today's guest that I bring to you is a very prolific designer, the king of moves writing and just is a pure joy of pop culture inspiration and you can feel the love for uh, the game. I would like to welcome to the show Aaron King. Hello. Thank you. Hello, Aaron. Thank you for being here today. I'm trying my best to not ruin this episode like I did the last one. Stop. It's not even a thing. It's not even a thing. Aaron, for people who may not be aware of who you are, would you just give a brief intro of, you know, who you are, what you do in the tabletop industry, anything else that adds to you as a person and any links or resources that people can use to get in touch with you or buy your stuff? Yeah, I am Aaron King. I live in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I do some game design. I work at a game store and you can find me on Twitter at... Aaron M.F. King, and there's links to my itch page and stuff like that. My most recent full game was Patrick World, which I published via ZineQuest 2021. And so that came out middle or end of last year. And since then, I've just been making weird little things. I love it. And they're amazing, weird little things as well. Aaron has been so kind as to send me physical copies for 
all the things we can talk about today and all the inspirations we have. Um, but before any of that, as an additional icebreaker for per the usual of the show, Aaron, would you just give a brief lineage of you know how you got into playing tabletop role playing games, and then what was maybe the first spark that got you to start making your own stuff? Yeah, I bought a box set called the Classic Dungeons and Dragons box set circa 1995 with my allowance. I was, I think, 12 years old. Did not play much of that, but I bought Dungeon Magazine and read them. Uh, I grew up in a small town in the Midwest, so I didn't have a bunch of people to play with. Really got into it when I was an undergrad, and someone ran a very long Dungeons and Dragons 4th edition campaign for me, and our friends took another hiatus. And then when D&D 5e launched in 2014, some friends at work asked me to run it for them. And I've also always been very into zines and DIY culture. So as I was looking at fifth edition, I was also looking for people who are publishing independent games and got into the indie scene and itch scene at about the same time. Hmm. Amazing. Who did you play in that D&D 4e game? I was a paladin. I want to say a half-elf paladin. Very good tank class written for 4E. Loved the mechanics. And uh, yeah, had a great time. It's it's interesting, too, because you were, you were the person who turned me on to 4th edition quite some months ago. And I was like, I just... I want to, I want to, what are some good tactical, like fantasy adventure games out there? And you were like, oh no, we were talking about uh dungeon master guide discourse and how oh, yes. yeah. fourth edition was like an amazing dungeon master's guide. And even the people that didn't like D and D also admitted like, yeah, fourth edition dungeon master's guide was pretty good. <laughs> it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Yeah. It's, it's just a dungeon master's guide that actually tell like instructs you how to, play the game, which is really cool. All the encounter building and stuff was really awesome to read and is definitely inspiration for my own uh, work in progress. So excited uh, to see it. Let's play some tactics. So Aaron, we have, we have quite a few things to talk about, but I think the first one that is kind of a Venn diagram of all of these is, and something I've reached out to you personally about in the past you are really amazing at taking inspirational materials for you and translating them into moves that if someone else were to like that particular inspiration piece, they'd be like, what a fun Easter egg I just read in less than 50 words. So why your current design ethos, I guess. Like, like, what are your current sort of design principles when you, when you make things? I read a lot of OSR blogs, like around 2012 or 2013. And along with the really well-known kind of OSR ideas about like player skill instead of character skill, present problems, not solutions. A lot of that movement was about writing like clear, evocative language. So instead of this very long set of paragraphs describing your world or something, you want uh, a set of bullet points or a flow chart that is clear and useful at the table and leaves room for the dungeon master or the players to insert their own tastes or their own characters. And 
coupled with that too, I was a corporate copywriter for years. And a mm-hmm. lot of that is about like trying to fit your whole thing on a, on a screen. You don't want people to have to scroll. You don't want them to have to click away. You want to start out with the like clearest statement you can make. Mm-hmm. And that stuff kind of got crumpled together. I published poetry chapbooks as well for a while. So poets would finish a little manuscript and I would do layout and printing and stuff. One of them was called Oh No Everything by Brett Elizabeth Jenkins. She's a local poet. And we printed them and it's a lot of it is about like hospital anxiety and medical anxiety. And so we like printed it and published it in a little manila folder. I got all these half-size manila folders, so it looked like a little... <laughs> hospital file, but the evocative language of poetry has always been inspiring to me as well. And so just the idea of taking something huge and sprawling, like one of my favorite novels or a whole video game and rendering it into a single little piece of game language that ostensibly is useful in a game, sometimes is absolutely worthless in a game as well. But just to try to do that exercise, pulling out the most important bits and seeing if it still felt familiar while also hopefully being useful to people who are not familiar with that source material. I know that game designers of games like the original Fallouts, there are lots of kind of pop culture references in those, but they had a rule where if the person had to, if the player had to know what you were referencing to get the joke, it can't go in. Like it has to be funny enough or evocative enough on its own for it to make it into the final game. And so hopefully I'm not just playing references. I'm building something that is like fun and unique on its own that maybe has a little extra if you are in the same boat as me and familiar with those same inspirations. And you even do it with the like designs of the zines in of themselves, like holding... I'm going to do this for the microphone because this is one of the few times I get physical copies. I'm just going to rub this up against the mic. (laughs) I'm currently rubbing Patchwork World against the mic. So if someone wants to open a cover on their computer or something while they're listening. Yeah. First of all, Patchwork World, I love the size of it because it it feels like this really cool magazine. Like this really... (laughs) amazing piece of combinations of OSR concepts and all the tools you also provide. I was trying to find like a good, good other word than tools, but tools was the one that kept beating my head. So all these amazing tools and inspirations and prompts in here, even like short story bits in here as examples of play and things. It's, it's very cool. And then game genie apocalypse, which what an amazing name. Uh, (laughs) Which I'm also going to rub against the mic here for a second. This is Game Genie Apocalypse. (laughs) See how they sound different? Uh, I hope listeners enjoy that. It feels like I'm pulling it out of a uh, game box. Like it's the instruction manual to a game box that I would get back in 2009 or something to that effect. And, And I love it. You have, it's just so diegetic and it's so. Uh, to steal a word you used, evocative in terms Thank of you. in terms of even physical design. So I guess what that allows us to sort of then transition into is let's talk about Patchwork World first because it, it was something you were working on for 
uh, a decent amount of time since I started knowing you in the brain trust and you put together and you were, you were talking about, you know, different inspirations for moves and you were giving, getting feedback from other members in the brain trust community. So, so how did patchwork world happen? Patchwork world is a part by the apocalypse game with no moves and no, or no, stats and no mm-hmm. playbooks only moves it pulls a lot of what i liked about osr there's a lot of random tables and world generation stuff in there as well it came from a bunch of places one was that my group of weekly D players that started in 2014 that i had mentioned they really enjoyed getting together but they did not like being level 10 and having to page through a bunch of stuff a lot of them have anxiety or ADHD and they're busy. They have spouses or kids or full-time jobs and the cognitive load of a game like D&D was getting to be kind of too much for all of us. And so part of Patchwork World inspiration was I want to find everything that they love about this game and this experience of hanging out and gaming and only have that. Take out all the stuff that is hard to remember that we have to have a hardcover book for and just pull out like, what do you like about these Mm -hmm. games? Um, Mm -hmm. So just a lot of shenanigan based things made it into Patrick world Mm -hmm. because of that. Uh, A lot of kind of the, their favorite NPCs or their favorite character types made it into there. Another inspiration was Pasión de las Pasiones, which is uh, powered by the apocalypse game by Brandon Leon Gambetta. And he came up with this format of roll with the questions. Instead of having stats, each move asks you a couple questions that kind of helps you position your character fictionally and kind of gives you the inspiration. Like, if you're going to strike someone in anger, your character is better at it if they have been, like, righteously angered by something. You know, if they are mm-hmm. self-righteous, if they know they've they have the the upper hand morally. It makes them kind of better at striking out in anger as well. And that was just a huge light bulb situation for me. These kind of built-in character and player instructions in each move. Mm-hmm. So that stuff all kind of boiled together. And then at some point I was like, no playbooks. I think a lot of it actually ended up coming from D&D 4E, where the basic rules are so, so simple compared to a lot of games and then each class comes with these abilities that basically give you new ways to break rules or additional rules for your character that are just in this move so your fighter might be able to mark an enemy so that the enemy has to attack them or else they're at a disadvantage but that's not in this big rule book that's just in this little square move in the fighter page and you can make a copy of that and cut it out and put it on an index card or whatever and have it in front Mm -hmm. of you. So the idea of everything is a move. If it's like a power, you can make things explode. That's one thing, but also your equipment, if it's important, it's just another move. It's the same language as this explosive power or an ally. You have a little goblin investigator. Who's your buddy. (laughs) Uh, That's also just a move. And you can cut it out and you can put it next to your sword and next to your explosive explosion power. And you just only have to look at these three things. And so a lot of it is also comes back to that cognitive load of, I don't want to page through a book. I don't want to page through, again, like paragraphs of explanatory language. I can just see what triggers this move. I can see the questions it's asking me. 
and position myself based. So that was kind of the the game mechanics side and the social aspect. And it's just, I also wanted to, as I was writing this, it was last winter and I lived alone and I was like in the depths of pandemic worry and I got this ear infection and it hurt so much. And I was mm-hmm. like, what if I die? I need to make this game like the most personal me game so that if I die alone in my house from this ear infection, I will leave this record behind. And so I just unabashedly started bringing in just things that made me happy, things that inspired me. A lot of the moves from the Game Genie Apocalypse and Reading the Apocalypse zine that you have, inspired by my favorite novels and games, I started reconfiguring them to fit in this game. And just, I wanted this to be something that felt like it could only have come from me while still appealing to my very specific game group. And if other people liked it, that was fine. But who cares about that? Like this is for my people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a, first of all, I'm sorry that you had to go through, go through that. <laughs> no, it's last winter. I, you know, it's, it's just a funny thought, you know, I, I wasn't, that worried, but I would be laying in bed trying to sleep and just thinking like, what if it's not an ear infection? What if it's something else? And I also just last week got over shingles. So I think I'm just getting these weird adult ailments once a year, every winter. And at this point it's funny. I even still there's a, there's a hug just boiling <laughs> up inside. Thanks. Well, I think some, some things that really stick out to me and something I also Think about one, when you were sort of describing how any sort of almost action you could take within the fictional space, whether it be with sword, with explosion, with your little goblin investigator buddy. Also, is that the Netflix show like that we're missing? Like a little just goblin investigator? <laughs> Think about that. Netflix, you can have that for free, I suppose. Yes. Uh, or not actually don't have that for free. You have so much money. Give me the stuff, but you sort of get to choose your complexity in a way. Like every person's engagement with the game can be a different style of complexity. It can also be really cool for kind of original character concepts in that, man, I really want a winged, uh, jackal, that was soldier, but is now a mailman and like, or a male person and like, and you know, that's, that's something that's really interesting to me yesterday, yesterday, Jesus, the week already feels so yesterday, Monday, per the recording of this episode, we had the tabletop Colin show with me and Adam Bell. And we talked about bringing, creating a game that was a hodgepodge of different systems to facilitate different engagements of play, the difference between like combat and role-playing and faction or campaign distillation. And I think what also you're sort of like really jazzing me up about is being able to take all these different genres of inspiration and bringing them together in a single experience or a single wrapper. Mm, I, I don't want to necessarily say a single experience, but a single wrapper of Patchwork World. And I love that you're doing that. I love that it's being talked about. 
they're just like whispers on the wind <laughs> of smashing stuff together and like making it work, but not in a way that's like creating cohesion, right? Like I don't mean in the way that maybe Forged in the Dark maybe sort of did with PBTA systems and I don't know what else it'd be a combination of, but just like instead of making something the mechanic, the through line for the game, you instead make the game the through line for all of the mechanics, which is really fascinating. And I love that you think that way. And it just, you know, it also slightly validates the way that I'm currently thinking. So hell yes, go for it. Smash that stuff in. Smash it in. I just think for me as a designer, it's harder to figure out like, how do I make this D20 system do everything? Like, how do I make it feel good with skills? How do I make it feel good with combat? How do I make it feel good with, I don't know, 13th age tech. 13th age had some great subsystems. Totally. I just started reading it. It's good. It's good. I love, I love the icon thoughts. I love the escalation dice thoughts. I love the way the classes sort of, quote unquote, progress. It's good. I think there's some good good tech in there, especially if you're a D&D 4E fan. I think you'll you'll really enjoy 13th Age. But yeah, and so, you know, how was the process of creating Patrick World? You started working on it last winter. I have the book in hand now. You finished it uh, like two or three months ago. Is that right? Like you, did you have a Kickstarter? I can't remember. I did Zine Quest one year ago. If this comes Zine out Quest. in February, right, of 2022, I had most of it written before that Zine Quest started. I think I ended up shipping them out last summer. So yeah, I, at one point, I was just, I decided there will be 70 moves in this book. Like, mm-hmm. that was my my star, my guiding star, mm-hmm. which is a lot, but I don't think it's more than most PBTA games. It's just that you get to pick from all of them. And then it was a process of kind of figuring out my own session planning for games that I'd run in the past. And like, Mm -hmm. is there a way that I can pass on what I enjoy about that process or what feels useful? And so I think that was the hardest part to write, or at least most embarrassing or most vulnerable to be like, here's what I think when I try to run these games for people. And here's what's important. And mm-hmm. here are the feelings that are important to me when I do this. I hope some of them are useful to you. And if they aren't, don't tell me about it because it's very <laughs> personal, you know. And I had joked that the three pillars of role-playing games, you know, in D&D, they say it's combat, exploration, and social, socializing. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, it is shenanigans, romance, and building forts. And yeah. so it was just like... Those were my three through lines that I tried to include in all the moves. Each move should be about at least one of those things. And the random tables, the world generation stuff should induce those, hopefully. So that was it. That was the process. I sort of wanted it to look like a weird fairy tale textbook. I'm not Mm -hmm. good at the super fancy design layout stuff. I have tons of respect for people that are. I can't wait for Will Yopes' Torque which has just the craziest layout. It looks so good. But I knew I would not be able to do that. And so I tried to just make it a very clear textbook almost layout Mm -hmm. in the hopes that then the weird stuff in there would seem a bit stranger because it was laid out so clearly and starkly. Yeah. 
that was that was my process. Thank you to all the Kickstarter backers. Yay. And I still have some copies if people want more. Oh, people should definitely want more. You know, you can get moves such as be resonance or <laughs> become cats. Or you can burst into cats, you can find your parents lost in a whale. Uh, yeah, yeah. But if also if you're into D and D, you can just like have a cool sword or have a castle. I tried to make it so that most of those game archetypes you could just play here as well. Mm-hmm. And you know the far the fan favorite is always card duelist. So <laughs> you can be Yu Gi Oh in my game. You can be Yu Gi Oh the show. <laughs> be the whole show. <laughs> oh, it's good. It's really good stuff, and you know. It's also a testament that like you have you have cool art illustrations that you've put in the book as well. Yeah, art by Kevin Budnick is one of the artists mm-hmm. at Knitted Sweater Sweater on Twitter. He's a cartoonist in Chicago. My friend Magdalene Magdalene Eng did some really cool like inky drawings and then some supplemental kind of public domain art and a few pieces that I did as well that really I think helped the vibe. Who did the appendices, like, no face, dude? I think that is... that spooks me? That is a public domain, like, metal plate from a photograph. I oh, think I great. I that on public domain review. Jesus. <laughs> I love that. I love that's just, like, out there in the open. Yeah, just some creepy photographic plates online. So- Creepy pasta, dude. <laughs> Creepy. And then also, just on the subject of really cool moves, we also have Game Genie Apocalypse here, which is just what exactly? Aaron, what is it exactly? <laughs> so, Game Genie Apocalypse is part of a flip book. If you flip it over on the other side, it's reading the apocalypse and it flips in the middle. They are books of moves. Game Genie Apocalypse is moves inspired by my favorite video games. Reading the Apocalypse is moves inspired by my favorite books, novels. So it's just the idea of like, I want to distill my experience of playing Super Metroid into a Powered by the Apocalypse move. That is also just maybe useful. You could put it in a, you know, in a game of Monster of the Week. Mm-hmm. But also it's just, you know, Taylor from Riverhouse Games writes a lot of uh, lyric games and talks about like, Games don't have to be played. They can be read or they can just kind of exist. And so I just thought like some of these moves absolutely will be useful. Some are just fun to read. The one inspired by Moby Dick is literally just the opening text from Moby Dick, but formatted as a Powered by the Apocalypse move. And I just, that was just what I thought was funny that day. And hopefully other people enjoy it too. (laughs) My personal favorite is iframe. I love this little... When you take harm, you can tell the GM to secretly set a single die to one of its faces. Do the same. If you pick the same number as the GM, you take zero harm. I just love that it's not, like, rolled. It's that you're actually playing, like, hey, what are you going to pick, huh? (laughs) You pick that five? You always pick fives. Like, you always pick rock and rock, paper, scissors. Right. And like Dark Souls, I mean, that's inspired by Dark Souls. And Dark Souls is all about like learning those enemy movements, right? Like failing Mm -hmm. so many times, but eventually 
knowing like, I see what you're about to do and I know when to press dodge so that I have that invincibility frame and you don't hit me. So the idea of like staring at the GM and reading them like a Dark Souls boss. Again, I just thought it was funny, but also it's kind of a cool way to do dodge moves empowered by the apocalypse, I think. Yeah, I agree. Amazing. It's so good. And then the last like piece piece here, I actually, and I've not had the uh, privilege to play Troika yet in my life, but we have the Icy City, a, a Troika edition issue two by Aaron King. What is it, Aaron? Um, it is a set of character backgrounds and rules for flying through Troika space. And there are these spheres in Troika that contain these worlds that you land on with golden barges. And the rules that I came up with represent those spheres as pogs. And so the zine comes with (laughs) a set of pogs and you can pop them out and fly from pog to pog. And they are, you know, there are some dangers in trying to land on them. Some pogs represent literal planets. Some are more uh, situations that you might encounter in space, such as, your dwarvish steerman falling in love with you during your journey and how you, you know, follow that romance or break it off. I just wanted to print something with pogs. Um, Jared Sinclair (laughs) at Spearwitch printed some pogs. And I was like, I have to know where you got these pogs. And they're a custom company. I want to say in Arizona, just called custom Mm. pogs. And you send them up like a, an image file and they will print you a bunch of pogs. So I, here, uh, listeners, are gonna rub. I'm gonna rub the pogs against the microphone. This is the last last thing I rub against the mic here today. Specifically, I'm I'm rubbing love of a dwarfish steersman. Skill five, damage a small beast. Boom! There you go. Quality cardboard. You can hear. you can really hear it. You you can hear the cardboard. These are all these are all amazing. And what why sort of like lightning round the last two is to get to sort of your topic and that you kind of propose in your questionnaire for the show about all the your design is a testament to inspiration is a testament to like taking the things you love and distilling them down into ideas that other people can digest and use in their games and whatever games they want to use or see how you can distill those loves into actionable pieces of tech. So, you know, what is, if you, Aaron, Aaron, (laughs) I'm ready. If you had to pick like a, Let's start, let's start with like a genre. If you had to pick a genre, what genre do you find yourself coming back to again and again in terms of like fantasy or crime or, or something like that or anime or whatever? Yeah, I, that's hard. I, I so know. Many. It's a big question. <laughs> it's a big question. So many things are multiple genres as well. Right. Lately I have been into, I, I guess you would call it like, family saga novels so right now i'm reading tony morrison song of solomon and that's about this african-american family in detroit like across the first two world wars one of my favorite authors is louise erdrich she's local she writes about she's written tons of novels but they're all about these interactions between these 
Native American families in Minnesota and the Dakotas from like the mid 1800s to modern times. Another favorite author of mine is Haldor Loxness. He's an Icelandic author that writes about these Icelandic families. And so they range from like very realistic, just like people drudging up their family business to something a bit more magical. A lot of Louise Erdrich's books have a sort of unnatural things, people practicing what we would consider supernatural abilities. Just these books that trace a family across a generation or across multiple generations and the changes in perspective that can happen from being a kid and you don't consider your parents as like real people who will live and die to becoming an adult and the way that those things change and the way that we like internalize that stuff, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is like not a very gameable, <laughs> um, gameable genre. I don't think until I start thinking about like end of campaign and end of campaign character sheets, mm-hmm. you're looking at your sheet that has all these, I love using like physical character sheets for longer campaigns and the same with my notes as well. And you end up just like finding half erased things. And sometimes those things are like, Oh, this thing was so important to me at level one. This was my treasured. I was sure this was going to mean something. I've held on to it since level one. (laughs) or the alternative, like, I have no idea what this is. At some point, it was important enough for me to write down. At this point, who cares? thousand-year tea egg. Why will I ever need (laughs) this? Right. And um, I just love that process of things, like, slowly accreting around a narrative or a lack of narrative. Like, you're playing a game. And someone decides this weird thing is important. And so it becomes important. And I think that's what a lot of these family drama books do as well. It's just like, you know, there's an object, there is a a bowl of flowers that represents like this father doctor's practice in this house. And originally it's just a bowl with flowers, but then the water stains the table and the stain comes to represent, you know, just the slow build of meaning I think is really fun to me and really important in games. So fascinating that you, I definitely think there's a world where you could do, um, and we have games that do generational play for sure, but I think there is definitely conceptual space for a micro generational gamification I think a lot of the, at least the ones I've been exposed to are very like large scoped. Like we see cities rise and fall and we see cultures come and go. And I would love for someone to sort of explore like a, just the micro of a household or household, small village. I imagine like a small village sort of thing, maybe building some myths, some folk tales alongside that and having like a like an indestructible item quote unquote like a plot armored item that just sort of like survives through the whole thing and like you said adds different meaning as it as different things happen to it i think would be really fascinating 2023 zine month we'll do it yeah uh and the second thing just as a easter egg i interacted with my first piece of not necessarily a book, but Icelandic fiction. There is a show on uh, Netflix called Katla that is about 
the or either the volcano. I think the volcano is called Katla, and there is an eruption that happens and kills a bunch of people and they have to move away from the island except for people that can't like that are bedridden or couldn't like, or being stubborn and didn't want to leave because they thought like it'll be fine eventually, but it's been ashfall for a year or something like that. And it follows this uh, woman who's lost her sister and suddenly her sister comes back one day, almost like a doppelganger story. And it's about like, accepting loss it's about grief it's about who who are you really when you're presented with the thing you want it's very it's or when you're tempted by the thing that you want it's very interesting it's a very interesting full complete series it's like eight yeah eight episodes eight eight hour episodes that's cool as hell it's it's super cool it's very very cool and my partner and I, we are, how do I, how do I say this? We are not easily impressed sometimes. Uh, <laughs> and I wouldn't be upset if someone said we were kind of snobby about the fiction that we take, especially when it comes to like dramas. Cause we notice a lot of like common tropes or trite things that happen and get kind of upset at those. But we watched that and it was just a really interesting like it had some of the, like the richest character development or personification of emotions or ideas. It was very cool. It was a very very cool show, and I I recommend it to anyone that's into like mysteries and dramas. I'm gonna watch it. You should watch it. Anyone else should watch it. That's again free net. It was on Netflix. I don't know if it's anywhere else, but that's free Netflix dollars, I suppose. So uh, this episode is sponsored by Netflix. It is not. I will never, not one time, uh, unless it's an ad that I don't control. Right. But yeah, it's it, that's really fat. Those are those are really fascinating genre inspirations that I think are maybe a little unexplored in the in the game story space. I think. I mean, there are probably actual plays that do it, but somewhere that I'm not privy to. But I think that'd be interesting. I think that I think it is gameable. I think I think we could do it. Oh, doesn't isn't Quiet Us kind of like that? That Forge never, in the Dark game. I've never played that one. I was going to say there's a Powered by the Apocalypse game called Sagas of the Icelanders. Oh that yeah, is yeah, about yeah, yeah. The settlement of Iceland and the playbooks are like man, woman child and it's so cool i think this game is amazing and it is one of my inspirations and it's just about like the the local big guy comes to like demand some of your sheep and like how much do you give him stuff like that and does your farm produce this year and do you die in childbirth like some very heavy Mm. serious stuff wow Um, but I think it gamified in a really interesting way. So that's by Gregor Vuga. You can find it. It's on yeah. itch and stuff. So I think I, I think I have the PDF somewhere. Also Vinland Saga that immediately made me think of the anime Vinland Saga. If I have any anime listeners out there. Also I read, I read the first two volumes of the, of the Ooh. comic. Yeah. It's good stuff. Can't wait for season two to bring out uh, Leif Erikson. That's going to be. <laughs> It's be a good time, I think, I guess. I'm making an assumption. I haven't read any of Vinland Saga, so I only know what the anime shows me. Yeah. But Thor is crazy. And 
Yeah, yeah. Really interesting, really interesting genre stuff. What about also, because we're on the topic of inspirations, are you playing any any cool video games lately? No. <laughs> no! <laughs> uh, I play Skyrim every winter as a winter <laughs> ritual, but I finished my run of Skyrim. And I've been just like looking for a new video game, but haven't found it yet. I tried the most recent Spider-Man game. It was fine. I played Divinity Original Sin 2. Yeah. And there was a lot of cool stuff in there, but I got very overwhelmed by trying to choose between like 20 different helmets or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I just did not want to engage with that. And so I abandoned that one as well. So yeah, I'm on the lookout. If people have any good inspirations, send them to me. Yeah, tweet, DMs, send it to Aaron. Nice things. Nice things about the game. Nice things about games. I've played Divinity Original Sin 2. I have the definitive edition. And yeah, it is a, it is certainly a complex game, but it has good story juice in it. And I think the, the builds, like the, the class builds are also really fascinating. Yeah, there was a lot there that I was drawn to, but in the end, you know, I would just like, work for a few days and not play and then Mm -hmm. I'd come back to it and just be so overwhelmed, like forgot what I was doing kind of thing. But the writing was fun and the classes were cool. I'm a big fan of Planescape Torment, which is a similar top-down isometric Mm -hmm. game from, you know, late nineties, I want to say it came out. Mm -hmm. And so that appeals to me, but I think I'm just I'm over the watching all my stats, <laughs> min-maxing, keeping careful track of these items. Like, I just want that to be automated for me. I want a choice where it just goes like, here's the best items you can afford. I take your money and I put the items on your people now. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I get that there's some people, yeah, some people like that control, that micro control. And I have been in places in my life where I have liked that. But now is not that time. So maybe someday later, Divinity. Yeah, wink, wink. But with that, how did your Skyrim like playthrough go this winter? It's good. So I am always like one or two systems behind. So I only mm-hmm. just got a PS4, which means mm-hmm. I can add mods. Yeah. Um, so this was the first Skyrim playthrough where I was like riding a deer it's weird (laughs) magic spells and strange weapons you know just like it was i assume what everyone does when they first get access to mods which is just like download and apply 30 of them at once without really what any of them do and so it's just like what's this weird new location what's this stupid big sword why am i glowing that way who knows and so that was good um and then i think i got the idea for my next year playthrough I'm going to just be Santa Claus and I'm going to make a character that looks like Santa Claus who can break into everyone's house and leave them handcrafted necklaces and rings and food. That's beautiful. Truly beautiful. Uh, Also deer underutilized mount. Yeah. It's like the, yeah, they're like caribou or whatever elk. Yeah. I think they're called in Skyrim. They're majestic. Underutilized. Great fun. Deer and also rhinos. Why aren't we riding more rhinos? Uh, And hippos, too. 
and hippos. Hold on a second. <laughs> is something happening here? There's a book. There's a book called River of Teeth, which is based on this kind of lesser known historical possibility where at one point people were like, we should bring hippos into the Louisiana Delta because they're Uh-oh. a great source of meat and they could live there. And eventually that idea was like, no, we're not going to do that. But this oh book God. is like, what if we did? And there are people who are basically cowboys for hippos and they move these hippos up and down the river and, you know, engage in cowboy stuff, but atop hippos. So Sarah Gailey is the author river of teeth. It's like a short novella. I would never have learned about this (laughs) if I hadn't talked to you today. Yeah. I'm a library school dropout. So if anyone wants book recommendations, I have seen so many books in my lifetime. Some, some were even good. (laughs) Some, some might say we're good. That makes you the third library, uh, like college goer of the show. Interesting. Damn. We got a, now there's a, now there's a a co-op. Yeah. Yeah. You, Dan, Collie, and God, I can't remember who else it was. We'll figure it out. Yeah. I'll wake up tonight. (laughs) Well, I think with that beautiful uh, hippo recommendation, that's going to bring us to the top of the show, Aaron. Once again, would you just give a brief outro of who you are, where people can get in touch with you, get your stuff? All these links that Aaron is about to provide will be down in the show notes for your access listeners. Uh, Yeah, Aaron King, at Aaron MF King on Twitter. And because I am bad at branding, I am AaronKing.itch.io, but Aaron is spelled differently. I just take whatever Aaron is available to grab, whatever one has not been picked yet. And so I've messed everything up by having a variety of different Aaron spellings. So just go to my Twitter, Aaron MF King, you can find everything there. Amazing. Well, thank you everyone for coming today and listening to Aaron. I learned a lot. I had a great time. I hope you learned a lot and had a great time and we will catch you next time. Say bye to the people, Aaron. Bye everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey there, listeners. Thank you very much for taking the time to sit down and hang out with Aaron and I. We really appreciate it. You can find links and resources down below in the show notes for getting in touch with Aaron and other content with similar topics. Support Jeremy and the VOID podcast by reviewing the show or joining the community Discord server. Additionally, you can get ad-free early releases of episodes by donating to the DYD Patreon at patreon.com slash dydpodcast. Thanks again for listening, and remember that design is a marathon, so enjoy the journey, and have a great day. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.